We are in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. As we continue on in the life of Jesus, Luke is going to relate to us uh, Jesus' arrival in Galilee and eventually at his home synagogue. Now, we might, if you only read the Gospel of Luke and we didn't have the other Gospels, you might think that Jesus got baptized by John, went into the wilderness, came out of the wilderness, went right up here to Galilee, to his home synagogue, and these events occurred. But we actually know that when we look at the other Gospels, that Jesus does, in fact, of course, get baptized, goes in, gets tempted. But when he comes back, he goes back to John and John's baptism. And this is where John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus calls some of his disciples to follow him. He hasn't yet made them apostles. That is coming, but not yet. And then he leaves the Jordan River Valley and goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the Judean section of Israel. Remember, Israel is made of two parts. The northern section is the Galilean section. The southern section is the Judean section. Now, if you're an Israelite, Particularly if you live in the South, you uh, think pretty highly of yourself since you're a good Southerner. And uh, this is where the really religious people are. And those Galileans up there in the North, we all know they're, they're right up there with the Gentiles, you know. So Jesus goes down into Judea, and this is where he talks to Nicodemus, that, that entire exchange there about you must be born again, that occurs. And then he cleans out the temple. Remember he, the first time he goes down and he cleans out the temple? And then he hears the Pharisees say that Jesus and his disciples, although not Jesus was actually baptizing, but the disciples of Jesus were baptizing more than John. And so in John chapter 4, verse 3, Jesus leaves Judea and went away into Galilee. On his way to Galilee, he passes through Samaria and talks to the woman at the well. Okay, another story that we are all very familiar with. And it says, after he gets done talking to the woman at the well, he went to Galilee. And as he shows up there, the Galileans receive him, having seen the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, because they toured at the feast, the Galileans, people from the north. So by the time we get to, John, to Luke's account here this morning, just so we have the right context, it might appear that Jesus goes out of the wilderness and walks into his, his own synagogue, but the fact is, from the time Jesus left the wilderness to the time we get to Luke's account here is probably, it could be as long as a year. I mean, it's been a while. Jesus has been preaching for a while. Jesus has been down in, in the Judean area preaching and teaching. And he's now, even when he heads north, leaving the woman at the well, he goes into the Galilean area and begins to speak into all of their synagogues. He goes around into the synagogues, which is what... Luke will actually say. Verse 15, he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Realizing the Galilean area, Josephus tells us that it was made up of 240 cities. The Galilean area was a huge, uh, very populated area. It may have had upwards of a million people in it. Very fertile. The, the Galilean valley, the, the area here with the Sea of Galilee and the fish and the agriculture, it's, it was a very prosperous area. 240 cities, every one of them would have had a synagogue. In fact, some of them may have been large enough to have more than one synagogue. They may have had several. 
So when Jesus goes around into all of the various synagogues, you know, this is, he's, he's been doing this for a while now. So when he gets out there and he preaches, he preaches, of course, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching that he is the Messiah. And in case you're wondering about that, he says to the woman at the well, she said, well, after that little discussion there about the theology and whether we should worship on Mount Gerizim or here, she said, well, when the Messiah shows up, he'll explain all of that to us. And he says to her, I am him, the one who is speaking to you. I am the Messiah. So this, it's not like this is a secret. It's not like Jesus is keeping it quiet that he is the promised Messiah. John has pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. John has said my entire ministry, John the Baptist, he said my entire ministry is to let you all know who the Messiah is. And when Jesus shows up, that's him. He's the guy. It's not a question of whether the message was clear. The message was clear. The problem was the nation didn't want to hear. They weren't listening. And and even though it was really plain that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, they didn't want to repent. So, As we come to verse 16 here, and he comes to Nazareth, Jesus is going to now, after a probably upward to a year of public ministry, of going down to Jerusalem and going to the temple and cleaning that out and then interacting with a variety of people, then going to Galilee and preaching in all kinds of synagogues and speaking to all kinds of folks, he's finally like, okay, it's time to go home. I got to go back home. I got to go to my home synagogue. How do you think this is going to go? Now, Here we are in Del Rio, right? You open up the newspaper, and it's often right there on the front page. The newspaper will say some version of hometown student makes good. And they want to promote all those folks who've done marvelous stuff. And, you know, oh, this person who was appointed to whatever this or one whatever that. I mean, this, this. (laughs) They came from our high school. This is a graduate of Del Rio High. Look at that. Look at what they're doing. And, you know, that's kind of like the normal thing you're supposed to you know, promote your folks and go, hey, one of ours made good. Glad to hear it. You would think when Jesus goes to Nazareth that they would go, hey, you know, this Jesus guy, our guy, that's our guy. Yeah, yeah, we know him. Uh, Not so much. That is, in fact, not going to be their response. And here's where we really need to enter into the account. Jesus knows it. Jesus is well aware before he ever shows up there, exactly how this is all going to go. So what's he going to do? What's he going to say? How is this going to go? Because we do ministry. We're a church. You guys are Christians. You guys are out there trying to preach the gospel. You're out there trying to influence your society. You're out there trying to talk to your friends and your family and the people you work with. You're trying to make an impression on people. How does it go? Because you might be thinking, well, you know, if we're just nice enough, if we're just, if we're just kind enough, if, if we will just be gracious, you know, really be good people, that'll do it. Folks will like us. Folks will be okay with how this all goes. But we just have to be nice enough. Okay. Let's look at the passage and see how that works. Let's, let's look at the passage. Let's enter into this. Let's look at Jesus. This is Jesus. He's literally perfect. He's going to do the absolute perfect thing. 
He's not going to make any mistakes. There's no regrets. Jesus is not going to look back and go, huh, boy, <laughs> maybe I should have done this or that. No, Jesus makes no, there's no undoing. He has no desire to undo. He's going to go and he's going to do the exact right thing the first time. He will make no mistakes. So he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He is. And as was his custom, I mean, he did this all the time, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, which, by the way, was Saturday, but the resurrection's on Sunday, which is why we meet today, Resurrection Day. And as was his custom, he went in on the Sabbath, and they bring him the Bible. They bring him the Old Testament scriptures. And he stands up, and he reads them. That was a standard thing to do. He stood to read the scriptures. There's no, I mean, it doesn't actually say it, but it's hard to believe. It says it was his custom. It's hard to believe if you've got a guy like Jesus, I mean, he amazed the religious leaders when he was 12. So you can imagine, you've got this guy in your synagogue. I mean, let's hand the book to him. The sermons that Jesus must have preached by this point in that synagogue must have been incredible. But up to this point, he had not yet declared to him what he is about to declare to them at this moment. Everything has changed with the baptism. When Jesus got baptized, he is now the publicly recognized Messiah of Israel. He's not going to back down from that. He may have just been an amazing guy. Before that, he is now the Messiah. So, they bring the book to him, and, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and whether there was a regular reading, whether there was some kind of a schedule, and we're going to work our way through, or whether, who knows what. Maybe the guy handing out the scrolls just wanted to hear Jesus speak from Isaiah. I'd certainly like to hear Jesus speak from Isaiah. I think that'd be an amazing message. And, oh, by the way, we're about to. So, he opens the book, and he looks and finds a particular place. So apparently there are either he ignored what the scheduled reading was, or it was just up to him, but he's, you know, he's going through the scroll, right? I mean, he's looking. And he's going to actually turn to chapter 61. He's going to read this passage. He, he's going to read a specific passage. This is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is a direct quote from Isaiah 61. Of course, he stops right there. Declares the favorable year of the Lord. That's not where the passage stops, though. The passage goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. This is not the day of vengeance. Jesus is not there to declare the day of vengeance. So he stops. He's not going to read that. That's not why he's there. At that moment, at that time, at that place, his message is that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. This, the, all the good things are going on here. These are all good things. He has been sent. Now, everyone in the synagogue who has any kind of Jewish education whatsoever, they all know that this is a messianic passage. They all know that 
Although Isaiah wrote this, they all know that this is about the Messiah and that it's the Messiah speaking these words. They also, by the way, know they've heard him at the feast. They've probably been in some of the synagogues in the Galilean region. They certainly know about John the Baptist, all accounted John to be a prophet. They are well aware that Jesus has hinted, who knows what they're thinking, but that Jesus kind of has indicated that he might be the Messiah, but is he really going to actually say that right here in his hometown to us? I mean, come on, the Messiah? He's supposed to be some bigwig from Jerusalem, right? I mean, he's supposed to be some, who knows what, some guy here who's going to lead us all into victory over Rome, and we know who Jesus is. He's Joseph's kid. I mean, so they're all just looking at him like, okay, that was a really interesting passage for you to read. We all watched your scroll through the book, and you clearly looked for it. You clearly found it, and you've now clearly read it, and oh, by the way, you stopped at a fairly interesting place. You didn't even finish the verse. What in the world are you going to say? So he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, which, by the way, teaching at that time was done sitting. I, when I teach, I sit too. You go in Sunday school class. I, I don't stand. I, I could, I guess. But no. Uh, preaching, you stand. Teaching, you sit. And he's going to teach them. And so he sits down, and every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. I mean, this is a moment. This is the... Exactly what are you about to say here? And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know this messianic scripture that we all know has to do with the Messiah? You know this one that we are absolutely certain that this is the Messiah speaking? Today, this is now, right now, right here, being fulfilled. Now. And it says that he began to say, which would indicate that he says a lot more than that. I mean, Luke is the last verse in the Gospel of John. John says, you know, if we wrote down everything that Jesus said, I'm not sure all the books in the world would be able to hold all the wonderful things he did and said. And I, It's condensed. But the essence of it is that Jesus looks at them and says, this is fulfilled. And, and, and he's, of course, saying that I'm fulfilling it. That's what he's saying. Jesus is looking at them saying, I am the Messiah. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of God is, in fact, upon me. And he may very well have elaborated and said, when I was baptized by John the Baptist, as any of you who were there know, when, when the baptism occurred, the Spirit of God came down like a dove and has indwelt me. I have been, in fact, anointed to preach the good news to the poor. I have not just gone down to Jerusalem. I have preached into all of the Galilean synagogues. I, my message is not just for the rich. My message is for everyone. I've been sent to proclaim release to those who are captives. And any of you who have followed me around have watched. I have cast out demons. I have released people from the affliction of, of various illnesses and misery. I, in fact, have given sight to the blind. Which, by the way, no one except Jesus does. There's no... Everybody, all the people who do miracles in the Bible, nobody gets sight to the blind except Jesus. To see those, 
to set free those who are downtrodden this message that I'm giving you is to release everyone and to proclaim by the way the favorable year of the Lord which is the year of Jubilee I am here to declare that this is like the year of Jubilee and on the year of Jubilee what occurred was every 50 years all debts were were erased whoever you owed money to you don't owe money anymore and oh by the way all that land that all got you know shuffled around over these last 50 years it all goes back to the original families and to the original people as given out by lot by Joshua everybody gets their land back we just kind of reset the economic board here I mean what a time what a what a I jump up and shout hallelujah wow we are all debts forgiven I get my land back Whew, this is just this is the year of Jubilee yeah okay that's what Jesus is there to proclaim this is like the greatest news ever okay verse 22 all were speaking well of him you can imagine by now Jesus has some disciples he hasn't made them apostles yet they're still we'll, we'll see that event actually occur where he really is like okay you guys got to make up your mind you're gonna follow me or not but surely some of them are with him and they're going to say yeah see um, there are probably people in the synagogue over the previous year like hey have you guys heard about Jesus wait Jesus, the guy who, yeah, yeah, that guy. I mean, the stuff he's doing and the message that he's preaching, it is, it is amazing. We're really going to see this guy. You're going to hear this. Guy. You can imagine that in the synagogue there are people who are looking at it and thinking this is just great, and they are speaking well of him. I mean, my goodness, the, the blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. He's preaching this great message. But some... Some were, were wondering at the gracious words which are falling from his lips. Really? Really? I, really? You're wondering by the gracious words that are falling from his lips. He's out here speaking this wonderful message. The year of Jubilee. Sending the captives free and, and the spirit of God being upon him. And the year of Jubilee. And this is the greatest news ever. This is Jesus, you know. And this is Jesus. We, this is, this, isn't this Joseph's kid? I mean, he's just a carpenter. What does this guy think he is anyway? Who is he to come in this synagogue and to stand up here and to actually open the book of Isaiah? I mean, the very word of God and tell us he's the Messiah? Really? <laughs> Yeah, he's some prophet? Really? I don't know. I don't know. Now, Jesus is, in fact, of course, the Messiah. He's spoken graciously to them. He said nothing but good things to them. I mean, this is like as good a message as you can get. If you're looking for a seeker-sensitive message, I mean, this is it. Hey, I am here to give sight to the blind and to release the captives and to release everybody's debt and, and to just, I'm here to make the world a better place. Wow, that's good. Wait, wait, wait. You'd think everybody would really like that. And you would think when there's some kind of, you know, chin scratching here and a little bit of well I, you know you are just the carpenter's kid here we all 
We changed your diaper in the nursery, remember? I mean, we all know who you are. You really gonna come in here and try to give us that? You would think that this might be the moment for Jesus to kind of, <clears throat> now, I, I want you to please, please, enter into the life of Jesus. Don't just write Jesus off as some alien who has no idea. Oh, well, at least Jesus, you know? He doesn't care if people hate him. Uh, are you sure? Because I think Jesus was a real live human being who loved his mom. I think he had friends. It's like us. I think he, in fact, was just like us. And do you know how hard it is to go to your family and have them not like you? you know how hard it is for your brothers or your sisters or your own parents? let alone your friends and neighbors. And, you know, we might like to be a little odd. You know, a little oddity is good, but that's because we're supposed to be in charge and, you know, build a crowd of people who admire us for our oddity. We don't want people to actually reject us. We don't want to actually be isolated. We don't, we, we're not big into public rejection. In fact, we have an entire crew of folks who are on a particular electronic industry over there who make a living out of publicly shaming people with rejection until they act like they want them to. It's very powerful to shame people, to reject people until they act like you want them to. Don't think that Jesus doesn't feel the rejection. These are his people. This is the synagogue he grew up in. He knew the names of every single one of these folks. These folks did change his diaper when he was a kid. These are people who should know him and love him. Are they loving him? Not so much. So how is he going to act? What is Jesus going to say? Is he going to, is he going to diffuse the situation? Is Jesus going to go, hey, you know what? <clears throat> well, maybe, uh, whew, that didn't go too good. Maybe I better try being nice here. I better... Um, and I mean, after all, we, we need to de-escalate the situation, right? Uh, um, boy, if I keep this up, you know, who knows what these folks might do. I, I, it's time to just kind of back down and maybe go back over to my mom's house and just kind of lay low for a little bit until people cool down, you know? Just, uh, you know, I mean, after all, I don't want to get people upset. Is that, is that how Jesus is going to deal with this? Is that... I mean, Jesus is love, right? Love, love, love. Jesus is a hippie, you know? Jesus is a flower child. He's running around with flowers in his hair. He's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, is that, is that who you think Jesus is? Is that, is that how you think he's going to act to this? You think that's going to be his response? You think he's going to be afraid of people? You think he's going to fear their rejection? He's not going to appreciate it. He's going to feel it. But he's not going to fear it. Who Jesus fears is God. That's what Jesus fears. So, what does he do? He says to them this, verse 23. No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Uh, that is not really de-escalating the situation. Jesus basically says to them, you guys might think that your rejection of me is going to lessen. I assure you it's not. 
The fact is that you guys have heard enough that if anybody wanted to, you could repent. But you're not going to repent. In fact, you're going to get even harder. You're going to get even worse. And the next time I show up here, you're going to be even harder than you are now, and you're going to want to hear from me less than you want to hear from me now. In fact, you will quote this proverb to me, you hypocrite, do hear what you do every place else. Practice what you preach. Physician, heal thyself. That's, that, what, that's implying. You hypocrite, do for everybody else what you claim. For yourself. Then he goes on. Hey, you're like, okay, look, this is going to really get people excited. Mm, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I've only just got warmed up. Jesus says, I've come here. You know, they know where his mighty works are. You guys don't want to hear it. I'm a prophet. You know I'm a prophet. And I'm a prophet who is unwelcome in his own hometown. Oh, and by the way, speaking of unwelcomed prophets, let me tell you about a couple. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And when he uses the word truly, it's like, you better really stand up and pay attention. This is not just a general principle. This is a principle that applies to you. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Now, you know, he could leave it there, right? I mean, he, he could leave it there. They could all go, well, yeah, that's why we don't accept him. See, I mean, he even gave us his own excuse. I mean, he said to us that prophets aren't welcome in their own town. So, I mean, it's not surprising that we don't welcome him. I mean, no prophet is welcome in his own town. You just leave it there and, and go to your mother's house. Just go sit down with your mother. No, be quiet. Uh, nope. Nope. He is not going to leave it there. Jesus goes on and says this. I tell you in truth. Now, you've got to really pay attention to this or you're going to miss it. There were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. Um, well, yeah, there probably were all kinds of widows in Israel when that happened. So, I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel, but he didn't go to any of them. Only to Zareth and the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, you may not, your geography not, may not be good, and you may not really know about where Sidon is, and that may just kind of pass you by. Uh, let me tell you, it didn't pass them by. First of all, when Jesus said that Elijah was preaching, they all knew. Now, we had a civil war in our country. And depending on where you're from, when I was, first time I ever really experienced a Civil War, I, I got to say, I, I grew up in New Hampshire, and the Civil War to me was just ancient history. I couldn't, honestly couldn't have told you in high school whether I was a rebel or a, or a I had no idea what I was. I, I didn't even know. But I ran into some folks, and uh, they knew, and they were, uh, they, were, they were still fighting that war. And there are people in Israel we may see Israel as just this, like one monolithic country. Oh no, oh no, there's northern Israel and there's southern Israel. And let me tell you, if you're in Israel, you know. Well, where did Elijah go? Which part was Elijah a prophet to? Northern Israel. Where is this synagogue? 
northern Israel. This matters. This matters a lot. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Wait, God sent Elijah to us, our people, the northerners. And you know what? When the famine came, he didn't find a widow among us. He didn't, he didn't take care of any of us. He just packed up and left and went to Sidon, which is a Gentile area. He went to the Gentiles. He packed up and headed out of here and went there. Why would you bring him up? How dare you bring him up? What are you implying anyway, Jesus? What kind, what, what, what kind of story is this? And what is that? What, this is, you can just see that this is inflaming the situation. Of course, Jesus is trying to help them put together, hey, you know what? You guys aren't the first bunch of northerners to reject a prophet of God. In fact, what you're doing is you're following right in the footsteps of your predecessors. They didn't accept Elijah either. And when the famine came, they didn't listen. And, and he wasn't sent to any of your widows. He wasn't sent to any of you guys. He had to pack up and actually head to Sidon, to the Gentiles, to the godless Gentiles. This is where the very prophet of God went. And when he showed up there, he found a woman who believed in his God. She had such faith which is why we did the scripture reading this morning, that when it came time, he talks to the widow and says to her, just make me a, a, a little bread and, and give me some water. And she's like, well, you know, uh, it's the last we got here. I was just going to make this and then we're sit around and stare at one another and die. He's like, make me some first. And I promise you that, that it'll never stop. They all will keep running and we'll keep getting flour and we're going to be good here. So she did. She had faith enough to actually do that. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Days and days and days, months of just, when you know it, every morning we pour the oil out and there's more, more oil in that thing. It's just great. Yeah. She was a Gentile. She was inside. And if you want to, we don't have time, but if you want to do a fruitful study, just, you've got a lot of electronic devices, look up inside. It's a wicked people. Right? Nothing good about these folks. <clears throat> oh, but I'm not done, Jesus says. I, as if Elijah wasn't enough. Uh, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And by the way, none of them were cleansed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. Naaman, the Syrian? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to bring up two of these prophets who were rejected by people in the north. Both of them dealt with the Gentiles. How dare you bring that up? How what, what are you even thinking by bringing that up? Well, if you actually go back into your Old Testament and start reading about who these people were, who the descendants of Sidon were and where they came from and what God did with them and what Jeremiah says about the people from Sidon and what Matthew and... They were the Philistines. I mean, okay. So anyway, be that as it may, he is, he is going to go to them, the prophet. Jesus will say, Woe unto you, Chorazin, woe unto you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that have been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. 
This is a shorthand for the wicked, the Canaanites, people from inside. You didn't want to be compared to people from inside. And then, then we get Elisha. And here we've got Naaman, who is the captain of the army of the king of Aram. And, and the king of Aram, they have come down and defeated the northern tribes. This guy is a, he's an enemy. This is an enemy king's top general. He goes down and fights wars with us and, and beats us. You're going you're gonna to cure him of leprosy? Uh, yeah, you, you read that passage, right? I mean, you guys who were paying attention to the, you know, this Old Testament that you all say you love and you all want to be a part of and you all want to get into the Old Covenant and, you know, you all are looking for the Messiah and all of that. You, you guys are actually paying attention, right? Because here we are. You got this prophet. You got Elijah. And guess what? The whole northern tribes rejected him. And then you got Elisha. And guess what? The northern tribes rejected them. And oh, by the way, here we have another prophet. Jesus says, me. And guess what? Y'all rejecting me. Did Jesus de-escalate the situation? Did Jesus kind of try to calm things down? Uh, not so much. Jesus preaches the truth. These people need to hear the truth. And if you're thinking that, well, if we're just nice enough, if we're just kind enough, are you sure? Because the gracious words that poured forth from Jesus' lips didn't help at all. They just sat around and said, isn't this the, isn't this the carpenter's kid? Graciousness didn't do anything. So he just gave him the truth. And, of course, verse 28, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. <laughs> Why? Well, who does this guy think he is? You know, if they'd have just done a little research, Matthew and Luke both contain genealogies. Genealogies, which, by the way, clearly trace the lineage of Jesus. Uh, Matthew takes him all the way back to Abraham. Luke will take him all the way back to Adam. All you can do is look at this, and you know what? If you guys have been actually paying attention to who people were, you would have all known that Joseph, he may have been a carpenter, but the fact is, if we'd have been anointing kings... Joseph would have been the king, and so would Jesus. He is the firstborn son of the direct descendant of David. That's who he is. You just, you just don't want to know. You just don't want to hear. You've all sat around and told yourself that you don't even look into those things. But the fact is, the records were there for anybody who wanted to look at them. So you didn't look at the genealogies. You don't want to look. You don't want to know. You don't want the truth. You don't want facts. They don't matter. We are not submitting to this kid who grew up here. Okay. So they rose up and cast him out of the city and they led him over to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him off the cliff. Nazareth is right on this big valley. Big valley goes almost all the way from the Mediterranean down to the Jordan River. It's this the valley of Megiddo. So Nazareth is kind of on a hill that looks down into the valley of Megiddo. There's another name for that valley you might be a little more familiar with. It's the valley of Armageddon. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. That's what they tried to throw him into. Think God doesn't have a sense of irony? Hmm. 
That's for the final battle, of course, that's going to take place. And although they didn't believe enough to see any real miracles done, they certainly weren't going to bring their sick to him. They weren't going to bring anybody who was ill to him. We're not going to have the carpenter's son performing any miracles around here. Uh, they got one anyway. Jesus simply turns and walks through their midst. Although they're intent on throwing him over the cliff, you can imagine that everyone's got their hands on him, right? I mean, we are leaving him over here. We are going to fling him. And next thing you know, you're like, where'd he, where'd he, where'd he go? And he's got, it's not his time yet. When Jesus speaks the truth, he draws a very clear line for people to stand on. He's kind, he's gracious, but he speaks truth. And when people reject the truth that he speaks, well, he just kind of ups the truth. He gives them more truth. He makes the line brighter. He draws it more clear. He goes to other passages. He points out to them that your rejection of me is just like the rejection of your ancestors. They rejected God too. And you want to sit around and tell yourself you're not like them. But the fact is you are. And he just keeps escalating it. So when we speak the truth, even if you're really kind, and even if you're really gracious, and even if you're really nice about it, don't be surprised when people don't want to hear it, and they don't repent, and they don't turn. And even if you kind of crank the heat up a little bit, it doesn't help. They just get more mad at you. That is a very common response. People don't really want to know. They don't really want to hear the truth. They didn't want to hear it in Jesus' day. And Jesus doesn't apologize for any of this. Jesus isn't like, oh, oh I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. I, you know, please, everybody just calm down. I just, I just wanted to love everybody and, and, and give everybody peace. And, oh, no. No, no. No, he isn't. No. <laughs> you guys are just like your ancestors. They hated God and so did you. That's what he's telling them. Just like the people who, guess what? There were all kinds of people that those prophets could have gone to, but they didn't go to them because those are the folks they were condemning. And, and Jesus is making the point. He's like, look, I'm trying to give you guys the truth. And when you don't take it, guess what? This truth is going to go someplace else. And, of course, that is the overarching theme of Luke, right? When you read Luke, you've got you to remember that Luke wrote two books. He wrote the gospel, and he wrote Acts. Both of those books are just the same guy. This is just like Moses and the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible are all written by the same person. So if you're looking for a lot of explanation back in Genesis, you're not going to get it because he gives all that explanation as the five books unfold. Luke, is his overarching purpose is to show that God is the redeemer of everyone, not just the Jews, which is why he kind of skips Jesus trip down into Judea here at the beginning. It's not really necessary. It doesn't really fit what he's trying to teach, which is that they're going to reject Jesus, and the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Just read the book of Acts. Starts out in Jerusalem, ends in Rome. Starts out with almost everybody Jewish, ends with everybody Gentile. Jesus is not, he doesn't stop at Abraham with his genealogy. He goes all the way back to Adam, and then Jesus is the son of God. Why? Because the gospel is for all of us. Luke's message, gospels for all, not just the Jews. Praise God. Praise God it is. Otherwise, none of us, maybe some of you are Jewish, I don't know, but on the whole, it's the Gentiles. 
That is the message. And we need to speak it. And the fact is, you're going to be rejected. People are not going to like you. They're not going to respond well to it. You need to be prepared for that. You need to expect that. And you just do it anyway. Jesus knew what was going to happen when he went to, when he went to the synagogue. He knew. Still went. Still said what he said. Because they needed to hear the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you give us the wisdom to just speak truth and let your word do what it does. And though we might want to think that somehow that's going to be this great successful turning and everyone is going to thank us and shake our hand for telling them the truth, the fact is we just need to look at your word and see that so often the messenger is mistreated, ridiculed, and rejected. May we anticipate that and trust you anyway. Lord, may we be faithful to you and to your word. May we speak truth, be gracious, but understand that even with that, we are in a battle. So may we speak your truth to a lost and dying world who may not want to hear it. Give us the wisdom and the strength to do it anyway. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.